Shalom. Thank you for listening to this week's message from Emmaus Road Fellowship, where we encounter Yeshua in the scriptures. Check out our website at walkingemmausroad.org, where you'll find additional teachings and information on visiting us in Kingwood, Texas. If you've been blessed by this ministry, please consider giving to support Emmaus Road's mission of spreading the good news of the kingdom. May God grant you shalom in the name of Yeshua, our Messiah. Anybody have anything during worship that you saw or wanted to share? So, you know, uh, you know we always talk about having our like, building and stuff like that. And, you know, during worship, it just was so refreshing to know like we were kind of in a different place. And uh, it's unique. It's like you're walking in all the places to come here and stuff. It just, uh, it's just really refreshing and stuff like that. This is kind of thing, you know, I think this is just a little bit of a community or something like this. Funny you should mention that, because I was just talking with Heather just, uh, I think it was yesterday or the day before, no, yeah, it was two days ago, just about kind of a renewed desire for us to have our own place and saying, okay, we need to get a committee together, start looking, and then uh, figure out how we're going to pay for it. So anyway, but well, yeah, that's right. That's right. It's like we will present the problem before the Lord, and He will solve it. And there you go. <laughs> Way to go, Bridget! Awesome. Anyone else? Okay, so here we go, guys. This week, our portion is Kadoshim, and I think the title of today's message is "Who do you think you are?" Now, there's certain ways that can be said, like just "Who do you think you are?" Right? But we're not doing it that way. We're like. Who do you think you are? And the answer to that question is going to affect much of how you behave. Right? The way that we perceive ourselves is going to affect our actions. You know, um, one thing that, like in the business world, it used to be that if you're going to go to work, you're going to be dressed in a full suit and tie all day long. And that presented an air of professionalism. And it helped people keep a focus of, okay, well, here's where I am and this is what I'm doing. And then, you know, eventually you move to casual Fridays and then casual every day. And then who knows what, right? But there is something to the idea that how you present yourself, how you think of yourself is going to affect your behavior. So if you think of yourself as a sinner, right, then sin is kind of somewhat expected of you. Right? But if you see yourself as one who has been redeemed from sin and given a new nature, then it's now sin is counter to your true identity. And it's not expected. Right? I've said this before. I used to, used to say, well, I'm a sinner in need of grace. You know, and it's like, well, I was a sinner in need of grace. I'm still in need of grace. But I'm now a new creature through Messiah who still lives by grace. But it's the new creature, not a, a sinner in need, if that makes sense. Um, and so that's going to play into how we live. And this week, this week, Kadoshim stands on its own, which only happens during leap years. During non-leap years, Kadoshim is read with the previous parasha, which is Akhariyamot. So they're usually read together as a double portion. And the you, okay, so we, we know that there's times in the year when multiple portions are read, and the typical handling of the Haftarah during that is that you would read the Haftarah for, from the second portion, 
But when it comes to Acharei Mot and Kadoshim, it's unique in that you actually read the, the Haftar from Acharei Mot, from the first one. And that portion is from Amos, chapter 9, verses 7 through 15. It speaks, it's the one that speaks about God raising up the fallen tent of David. And, um, so this week, I was thinking on Amos 9, and so I want to start there. And in Amos 9, we'll read, well actually before we even get into it, I want to just give a little background on it. So, God is rebuking the children of Israel, and specifically the leaders, for walking in sin, as opposed to walking according to the riches that he's poured out on them, having redeemed them, brought them into covenant, saying, look, this is your identity. But you're not walking according to your identity. You're walking just like all the nations would walk. So you're not setting yourself apart as holy. And because of this, I'm going to send you into exile. Okay, but even though I'm going to send you into exile, I will cause the fallen tent of David to rise up, and I will bring you back from your captivity. And so, let's, let's read here in Amos 9, verse 7. Are you not to me like the children of Ethiopians, O children of Israel? The words of the Lord. Have I not brought up Israel from the land of Egypt, and the Philistines from Kaphtor, and Aram from Kir? So he, he's making the the statement here, you're, you're not acting like children of Israel, you're acting like children of Ethiopia. You know, I've, I've redeemed, I brought the Philistines out of danger, Aram out of danger, and, and you, but you don't act like I brought you out of danger. Okay? So he says, the eyes of my Lord, the Lord God, are upon the sinful monarchy, and I will waste it from upon the face of the earth, but I will not utterly destroy the house of Jacob, the words of the Lord. For behold, I command, I shall shake the house of Israel among all the nations, as one shakes grain in a sieve, and no pebble shall fall to the ground. By the sword will all the sinners of my people die, those who say that evil will not approach and overtake us. And on that day I will build up David's fallen booth. I will repair the breaches and erect his ruins, and I will rebuild it as in the days of old, so that they will conquer the remnant of Edom and all the nations, for my name is upon them. The words of the Lord who brings this about. Behold, days are coming, the words of the Lord, when the flower will encounter the reaper, and he who treads upon grapes, upon the grapes, will meet the one who brings the seeds. The mountains will drip with wine, and the hills will melt with fat. I shall bring back the captivity of my people Israel, and they will rebuild desolate cities. They will return and plant vineyards and drink their wine. They will make gardens and eat their fruit. I shall implant them upon their land. They will not be uprooted again from upon their land that I have given them, says the Lord your God. Okay, so God still promises to bring back those whom he will exile. Of course, the people being exiled because they have not walked faithfully to the covenant. Okay, so we know that God began this process of restoration by raising up the fallen tent of David through Yeshua, our Messiah. Right? And that he will reign forever and he will bring back all the dispersed that are among the nations and bring them back to the land and usher in the messianic era. Now, this is this this ties into, I think, an overarching storyline that comes from the two portions of Aphrae Note and Kedoshim. So, even though we're only reading Kedoshim today, I kind of want to start with, well, in normal years when we read the double portion, what's the overall storyline? Because I. I think it's going to tell us something about 
um, the identity of Jew and Gentile. So the full storyline, when you read it together, is you start out with, after the death of Nadab and Abihu, the Lord said to Aaron, you shall not enter into the Holy of Holies at any time, except in this way. And he begins to give all the instructions about the Day of Atonement. And all the offerings that are made, all the special activities of the day, and the result of what takes place is forgiveness and cleansing from sin, right? And this is all from Leviticus 16. And so then after the cleansing of sin that's taken place when the the high priest has done all that he was told to do, you go into Leviticus 17 and 18. And in Leviticus 17 and 18, there are four key areas of conduct that are discussed. And I think I have them in here. Yeah, okay, well, I'm going to move on. I'll come back to it. But there's four key areas of conduct that are stated to be given to the children of Israel and those who dwell among them so that the children of Israel would not become exiled. Okay, that's actually the way that last week's portion ends up. The scripture says, um, do not become contaminated through any of these, for through all of these things, the nations that I expelled before you became contaminated. The land became contaminated, and I recalled its iniquity upon it. So then he goes on and gives them a warning of, you need to stay away from those contaminations so that I will not have to spit you out as well. Okay? Then we move forward into Kedoshim in Leviticus 19. And... Oh, and one, one other note about God sending his people out or sending them into exile. That sending them out is sending them away from his presence. Right? Because his presence is there in the land, specifically in Jerusalem. So I'm going to send you out. You're going to be away from my presence. And then after that, we come into chapter 19, and God says, Speak to the entire assembly of the children of Israel and say to them, You shall be holy, for holy am I, the Lord your God. So now there's this call to holiness that goes beyond what God was saying about don't contaminate yourselves. Now we're going to go into the next phase, which is a higher degree of sanctity and holiness that you will walk in. So begin to emulate your creator such that you can be holy as he is holy. So with the progression, stated in another way, okay, we remember that it started with the death of Nadav and Abihu. So we're talking about the death of the righteous atoning for the sins of the nation. So that's how these two portions start out. The death of the righteous atones for the sins of the nation, and then the high priest will intercede for the nation and provide atonement for the children of Israel. Okay? And uh, I think there's a verse here that I want to refer to specifically on that. So, yeah, here in Leviticus 16, in verse 30, the scripture says, For on this day he, the high priest, shall provide atonement for you to purify you from all your sins before the Lord you shall be purified. Okay, so the death of the righteous, the high priest intercession, that brings about forgiveness and cleansing. And so then, what then? Now that you've been forgiven and cleansed, make yourself a sanctuary for God's presence to dwell in it within you and in your midst. And those are the four criteria that were given in in Leviticus 17 and 18. The four criteria were no sacrifices anywhere but the sanctuary, so you're avoiding idolatry. Then do not consume blood. 
then do not eat things with blood in them, and then finally, no sexual immorality. Okay, so those are the four things from Leviticus 17 and 18 in the order. And then we go into 19. Now it's continue on in faithfulness to the covenant, growing in understanding of walking out God's commands such that you become more like him. Because you shall be holy, for he is holy, right? And within Leviticus 19, we actually have the Ten Commandments reiterated. They're not stated in the same order, but you can find all of the Ten Commandments in Leviticus 19 in what God is laying out for what you're to do to be holy. Okay, So God is tying this back to the covenant here in this walking in holiness. You know, because remember, all the earth is his. Right? So the Canaanites dwelled in the land at one point, and they dwelled in the land until their sin had reached the, the full extent where he was going to spit them out. And now Israel's coming in to live in the land. They need to live according to God's ways, and then they need to move into an even higher degree of holiness because they're his covenant people. They're not just the nations. So a whole new level. And so one of the key things with this is that the storyline really hasn't changed. Right? We have the story back here for the children of Israel, but it's the same story for the children of God today, both for Jew and Gentile who are in Messiah. Okay? And we, I know we've, we've talked about it before, we'll talk about it a little bit here, but in Acts 15, the apostles reference Amos 9 to speak about how the Gentiles don't need to become legally Jewish in order to be part of the family of God. Right? And so, when we look at the overall storyline of this week's portion, of if it were the double portion, if we look at that overall story, coupled with Amos 9, we, we almost have the foundation or the basis upon which the apostles built their case. Makes me even wonder if it wasn't that time of the year, this time of the year when they had their meeting. <laughs> but and I'll, I'll tell you why, because, and we're not going to read all of Acts 15, we may, we may read a, a portion of it. But if you start, let's go back and let's put this, the story of where we are in line with what we just talked about, the progression of these portions. So the death of the righteous one, Yeshua, atones for the sins of the nation, and not only for that of the nation, but of the whole world. Right? Then he, as the high priest in the heavens, intercedes for the nation and is the one who provides atonement for the children of God. And then when you're in Acts 15, and the apostles are discussing, the council there at Jerusalem is discussing, you know, what do we do with the Gentiles? They're, they make the comment that it's evident that the Gentiles have been saved in the same way that the Jews are. Because through hearing the word and believing, they've received the Spirit. Right? And so they say, wow, they've, they've received salvation in the same way. They've been forgiven and cleansed such that they can receive of God's Spirit to be a sanctuary for Him. So what then should we do with the Gentiles who are coming to faith. And so then, what they specifically quote in Acts 15 is from Amos 9, is their basis for why they said that the Gentiles don't need to become legally Jewish in order to be part of the kingdom, because they say, I shall flip to it. Okay, in Acts 15, Okay, 1515, and with these words of the prophets agree, just as it is written, after these things I will return and I will rebuild the tabernacle of David which has fallen, and I will rebuild its ruins and I will restore it 
in order that the rest of mankind may seek the Lord and all the nations who are called by my name. And the, the translation here says, and all the Gentiles who are called by my name. So it's God saying that he's going to place his name upon the nations when he's bringing back the rest of mankind. Now, when we read the scripture earlier, it said Edom. He's going to go and conquer Edom. But the Edom is spelled the same way as Adam. You know, we don't have the vowel pointing from the scripture. So it can be translated Edom or Adam. And so God's seeking to call back all of mankind and to place his name on all the nations. And so they said, if God's name is going to be on all the nations, then not all the nations can become legally Jewish. Because if they all become legally Jewish, God can't place his name on the nations. So we have a problem. And But they said that's not a problem at all, because just as God makes distinctions between Levite and priest, and between Levite and Israel, and between Israel and the nations, he can make distinctions in any dimension. Right? And so he separated between light and dark. All these things, right? God is, you know, when we make, we make Havdalah, and we say, uh, and Hamavdil, it's like the one who makes the distinction. He is the God who makes distinction. And so it's fully within his norm to make distinctions. So he, they say, okay, well, let's do that. So then what do we do? If there's still a distinction between Jew and Gentile in the flesh in this world, then what do we do with the Gentiles who are coming to be a part? And so the answer is they should make themselves a sanctuary for God's presence along with us so we all don't go into exile. Right? Because if you go back to the commandments that were given in Leviticus 17 and 18, they were commands specifically given to the children of Israel and to the stranger who dwells among you. So within the Torah, there were commands not just for the children of Israel, but for those who wanted to come alongside Israel and just dwell among them. The people who came alongside them and just dwelled among them were not legally Jewish. They were not partakers of the covenant in the same way that a child of Israel was. But yet they still had obligations within the Torah to uphold. Okay? But they weren't partakers. So now, these Gentiles who through faith in Messiah have been grafted in to the commonwealth of Israel and who have, who have been made partakers of the covenant, how much more should they be walking to a degree that is even greater than the stranger who dwells among Israel? Right? Because they're not a full stranger. They're not just of the nations. They're something different. And so in Acts 15, 28-29, when the apostles are writing their, their letter to the, to the nations, they said, for it seemed good to us and to the Holy Spirit, or good, for it seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us to lay upon you no greater burden than these essentials, that you abstain from things sacrificed to idols and from blood and from things strangled and from fornication. If you keep yourselves free from such things, you will do where, you will do well, farewell. Now, these four things that they listed in the letter are in the exact order that they were presented in Leviticus 17 and 18 about how do you make yourself a sanctuary for God's presence and how do we as a community work together such that God's presence can dwell among us and we don't go into exile. Just as the stranger would have the responsibility, you who are coming in to be a part, you have the responsibility too. This is your starting point. And that's actually what's said in, uh, in Acts 15 when they made this first judgment. 
in, in verse 19, Therefore it is my judgment that we do not trouble those who are turning to God from among, among the Gentiles, but that we write to them that they abstain from things contaminated by idols and from fornication and from what is strangled and from blood. For Moses, from ancient generations, has in every city those who preach him, since he is read in the synagogues every Sabbath. So they're making the explanation of this is where we need to tell them to start. I mean, it's not totally their start, because their start was, I believe in the God of Israel, and I believe in the Messiah whom he has sent, who is Yeshua, and that's the God I want to live for. I mean, isn't that kind of the essential? <laughs> okay, but that's what they're already there, and they're like, okay, well, we already know you're there. Now these are additional essentials for you to walk by, and then every Shabbat, you're going to be in the synagogue listening to Moses. Listening to Moses? Why? Because saying listening to Moses was a shorthand for saying listening to the Torah of Moses. And as you listen to the Torah of Moses, you're going to learn, you're going to grow, and you continue to walk. This is the Kedoshim part, right, that follows the make yourself a sanctuary and now move forward in holiness. Moving forward in holiness is like really embracing the covenant that we live in and then walking according to God's ways such that we become more and more like our Savior, right? Now, one thing I wanted to note on... Acts 15, when it lists these four items for where to start. You may have heard that this is referring to the Noahid laws, that these four are shorthand for the Noahid laws. The Noahid, there are seven Noahid laws, which the rabbis understand to have been given to all nations, all mankind, after the flood, when Noah came out and God began to tell him about how he should increase and setting up courts of justice and all kinds of things. But these were commands for all mankind, no matter who they are, because it's to Noah and his sons, and they kind of everybody kind of comes from them. <laughs> so, the, the, so the Noahid laws are for everybody, without relationship to Israel, God's chosen people, and without relationship to the covenant. It's just a responsibility for everybody. Okay. So with that, I firmly reject the idea that the apostles were talking about keep the Noahid laws. I do not believe they were saying, well, just be like all the nations. Sure, you've been grafted into us. You become a partaker of the covenant. You have a whole new standing before God through Yeshua Messiah. Eh, just act like that doesn't matter. Just be like everybody else. Not happening, guys. It's not happening. <laughs> okay, so, and, and, and really kind of the question I wanted to have is like, if you have thought that, or if you do think that, that it's referring to the Noahid laws, then who do you think you are? Well, no, I mean, it's, it's, no, no, not, not repent, but good, good job, Diego. But it's, who do you think you are? Do you think that you're just among the nations? That you haven't been brought near by the blood of Yeshua? That you haven't become a partaker of the covenant? That you who are not a people have, have become, I mean, let's get, let's look at some scriptures on this, right? I mean, you've been redeemed by the blood. And if you don't, if you think that it's the Noahid laws are for those who have come into faith, you're shortchanging the word that God's given you, and the place and the standing he's given you in your identity. Okay? So, Ephesians 2, 12-13. At that time you were separate from Messiah, excluded from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Messiah Yeshua, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Messiah. That's huge, right? Strangers to the covenants of promise, now brought near and a partaker of the covenants of promise through the blood of Yeshua. 
And then you are, who are not a people have been uh, made God's people in First Peter 2, 9 through 10. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession, so that you may proclaim the praises of the one who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. You were shown no mercy, but now you have been shown mercy. And then going even further about like our identity, right? Partakers of the covenant, yes, awesome. You know, being made of people and being shown mercy and with hope, awesome. But then, you know, you're a child of God. You're a child of God. Galatians 3, 26 through 29. For you are all sons of God through faith in Messiah Yeshua. For all of you, or for all of you who were baptized in, into Messiah have clothed yourselves with Messiah. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free man. There is neither male nor female. For you are all one in Messiah Yeshua. And if you belong to Messiah, then you are Abraham's descendants, heirs according to promise. Okay, that's a big, that's a, that statement right there is huge, right? We've been made into one in Messiah in the spirit. That's one key understanding of this passage is the, the unity like where there is neither Jew nor Greek is our spiritual standing in Messiah in God as a child of God. There are still distinctions on this earth for God's calling and purpose and what we're going to do. But within who we are as this new creation, the child of God, and one who is to be holy as he is holy, we're all one in Messiah, right? So it's, it's not about one being greater than the other. It's about a unique aspect that God has apportioned to each one to carry out God's plans and purposes on this earth. But all one in Messiah, all children of God, and Abraham's descendants, heirs according to promise. The statement of heirs according to promise, that goes right back to what was being discussed in Acts 15, of, hey, do the Gentiles who are coming to the faith, do they need to become legally Jewish? You know, because do they need to actually become as physical descendants of Abraham? And they said, no. Because God's going to place their name on them. Now they're actually descendants of Abraham, heirs according to promise. Because even Abraham was saved by faith when it was a promise. The Torah, which came 430 years later, did not nullify a covenant previously ratified by God. So all of it is by promise. Um, and so, again, so after this aspect of saying, who are you and how are you to live? Being, if, if a Gentile, even greater than a stranger who dwells among Israel, because you've been brought so close by the blood of Messiah. Now, what's next? The next part is the aspect of being in the synagogue every Sabbath and hearing the Torah of Moses preach, such that we can listen to the Torah, we can remember the covenant, and understand more about God's plan of salvation, plan of restoration, his plan for our lives, and how we're to be transformed into the image of Yeshua. Right? Because that's what these commandments are for. You shall be holy, for I am holy. There's a... We're going to go ahead and read uh, some of this in Leviticus 19, because we do need to read some of the portion. Leviticus 19, verse 1. I show you. Okay. Yeah. I'm going to read two verses, and then I'm going to read the last verse, I think. Okay. <laughs> the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the entire assembly of the children of Israel, and say to them, You shall be holy, 
for holy am I, the Lord your God. So that's how this portion begins. This portion ends in Leviticus 20, verse 26, with actually verse 26 and 27, but let's say 26. You shall be holy for me, or holy to me, for I, the Lord, am holy, and I have separated you from the peoples to be mine. Okay, So he bookends this portion of Kadoshim with you shall be holy, for I am holy. So it's kind of all contained and wrapped up in this idea. And then the question is, well, what, is it, what does it look like? Because we can read Peter say the same thing, and I think it's First Peter, or maybe it's second. Anyway, out there somewhere in one of Peter's epistles, he says, you shall be holy for I am holy. He's calling back remembrance to this idea of the people being holy set apart unto God. And we read that and we think, that sounds a little impossible to be holy like God's holy, right? Um, because he is, well, the very definition of holiness. And we are still in our flesh. Right? Redeemed, but still in our flesh, still fighting the battle. And so, it may sound impossible, but the, the idea is not that it's just something that just gets accomplished, but it's something that happens as we daily walk out our life of faith. And so when we read here in Leviticus 19, and we see what all he's lining out about, this is the way you're going to live, you're going to find this very practical instruction of how to emulate the holiness of God as opposed to some spiritual, and I'm not saying it's not spiritual because our spirit and physical are intimately connected, right? But it's not like he's giving these lofty, you shall worship four hours a day and you shall pray in tongues for three hours a day or whatever. It's like, this is how you're going to love your neighbor. This is how you're going to serve. This is how you're going to give charity. This is how you're going to remember the Ten Commandments and walk according to them. And so he gives very practical instructions and as I mentioned, uh, if we were to go through these, we could be picking out and saying, oh, look, there's one of the Ten Commandments. So I'm going I'm to read here for a little bit, and then we'll talk a little bit more. So in verse 3 of chapter 19, Every man, your mother and father, shall you revere, and my Sabbath you shall observe. Okay, right here, we're in verse 3, and we've already gotten three of the commands. Because the first one, he says, I'm the Lord your God. That's the first statement, Right? You shall believe in me. And then you got mother and father, and you got the Sabbath. Okay? I am the Lord your oh, and even here, I am the Lord your God. Do not turn to the idols. Okay, so no idolatry. We're counting them up. Do not turn to the idols and molten gods you shall not make for yourselves. I am the Lord your God. When you slaughter a feast peace offering for the Lord, you shall slaughter it to find favor for yourselves. On the day of your slaughter shall it be eaten, and on the next day, and what and whatever remains until the third day shall be burned in fire. But if it shall be eaten on the third day, it is rejected. It shall not be accepted. Each of those who eat it will bear his iniquity. For what is sacred to the Lord, he has desecrated. And that soul will be cut off from its people. When you reap the harvest of your land, you shall not complete the reaping, your reaping to the corner of your field. And the gleanings of your harvest you shall not take. You shall not pick the undeveloped twigs of your vineyard. And the fallen fruit of your vineyard you shall not gather. For the poor and the proselyte you shall leave them. I am the Lord your God. You shall not steal. You shall not deny falsely. So, okay, now we can't lie, we can't steal. Oh, yeah, and you shall not lie to one another. Okay? You shall not swear falsely by my name. 
thereby desecrating the name of your God, so now you can't profane his name. I am the Lord. You shall not cheat your fellow, and you shall not rob. A worker's wage shall not remain with you overnight until morning. You shall not curse the deaf, and you shall not place a stumbling block before the blind. You shall fear your God. I am Hashem. You shall not commit a perversion of justice, and you shall not, and you shall not show favor to the poor, and you shall not honor the great. With righteousness shall you judge your fellow. You shall not be a gossip monger among your people. You shall not stand aside while your fellow's blood is shed. And I got murdered. I am the Lord. You shall not hate your brother in your heart. You shall reprove your fellow and do not bear a sin because of him. You shall not take revenge and you shall not bear a grudge against the members of your people. You shall love your fellow as yourself. I am the Lord. And then the, the verses continue on. And I believe there are some other uh, instructions here. Like uh, you get into adultery later on and various things. So the ten are in here. Even if they're not like stated the same way, they're alluded to, they're called back to mind. Now, as we're reading this, there were a lot of instructions about, hey, look, here's how you're relating with your brother, and here's how you're loving him, here's how you're honoring God. And in the middle of it, there's this, and when you slaughter a peace offering to the Lord, you shall do certain things, and you can only eat it on the two days. And on the third day, it's rejected, and if you eat it on the third day, then the whole thing is invalid and you're cut off. Like, where did that come from? You know, it's, it's one of those questions that it doesn't seem to fit in line with everything else that is going on. But there is a connection, and I think, I think that its connection is to the covenant that was cut at Mount Sinai. Okay, and this is kind of a combination of what we know about the sacrifices from the past several weeks, and then even going all the way back to Exodus 24 with the cutting of the covenant. But if you recall, there's multiple classes of sacrifice. There's the Olah that goes up entirely on the altar. No one gets any part of it, just it's all God's on the altar. Then there's the sin and the guilt offering. And the sin and the guilt offering, some of it goes on the altar, and the priest consumes some of it. But the one bringing it doesn't get any of it. Now the priest consumes some of it, not because it's not because it was the priest originally, it was God's portion. And God says, I'm giving my portion to the priest, and the priest will eat it on my behalf, essentially. He's sharing his table with the priests in those offerings. But then when it comes to the peace offering, this is the only one where everybody gets to partake. Some goes on the altar, the priest gets some, and then the one bringing the offering, they actually take and consume of it as well. Right? We talked about the uh, Thanksgiving peace offering and how that's likened to the Pesach offerings and so forth. Um, but the, the feast peace offering is the one that is most like what would take place. Okay, I don't, I'm, this might be a little confusing, so I'm going to try to say it. Well, like, okay, if you're going to cut covenant with someone, what was the process of cutting covenant? You would slaughter an animal. You know, you cut it into pieces, go through the parts, right? And then you would share a meal together. Okay. So the slaughtering of an animal and then partaking and having a feast together was something that was done to cut a covenant. Well, now with God, it's a different kind of entering into covenant. It's not peer to peer. It's sovereign to servant, right? And so when you're entering into covenant with God, the offering that you bring is a legitimate 
Oh, it's like it's a slaughter that's an offering as opposed to a slaughter of an animal that's not an offering. Does that make sense? Set apart to God versus not. So these peace offerings are actually what was done in Exodus 24 at the time of cutting the covenant when Israel was getting ready to enter in with God. So the interjection here of the peace offering being brought up in the midst of the Ten Commandments, in the midst of what does a holy people look like who has been set apart to God and is becoming like him, the covenant is intermingled into it. The covenant and the commands going hand in hand. And so just kind of jumping back to Exodus 24. In Exodus 24, 4, Moses wrote all the words of the Lord. He rose early in the morning and built an altar at the foot of the mountain and 12 pillars for the 12 tribes of Israel. He sent the youths of the children of Israel, and they brought up elevation offerings, and they slaughtered bulls to the Lord as feast peace offerings. Moses took half the blood, and you hear that, the feast peace offering? I kind of read that a little too fast. But they did feast peace offerings unto the Lord at the time of this cutting the covenant. And he took the book of the covenant and read it in the earshot of the people, and they said, Everything that the Lord has spoken we will do, and we will obey. Moses took the blood and threw it upon the people and said, Behold, the blood of the covenant the Lord sealed with you concerning all these matters. And then that's when Moses and Nadab and Abihu and the 70 elders went up on the mountain and they ate in the presence of God. What do you think they were eating? Feast peace offering. Right? So they're having their covenant meal with God at that point. And so I think that, I feel like all this is kind of tying back into that. And Leviticus 19 should bring back these thoughts to us. And then thinking about what does the people of God do, whether Jew or Gentile, who have been brought near by the blood of Messiah. We look to walk in holiness because that's it. That's our new identity as children of God. Right? And if we don't see ourselves as children of God, if we see ourselves as just like all the nations, then how are we going to act? We'll see our normal behavior in the sight of all the world as being totally acceptable to some point of view. It's like, well, no. We've been brought near by the blood of Yeshua. We've been set apart. We've become partakers of the covenant. And now, how do we walk? We walk as children of God. Not to gain status as children of God, because we already are children of God. And now we're just making our flesh come into alignment with that spiritual reality. And God says, this is how you do it. And then not only does he say, this is how you do it, he says, look, I gave you my son who is the very, you know, the perfect image of the father, the one who is the perfecter of our faith because he shows us how to walk out our faith. Right? And so we're called, we have a high calling. High calling, again, not to gain standing, but because of the standing we have. Now, Sworno makes a comment about these commands that were given uh, in chapter 19. And he comments that, you know, these commands, they harken back to the Ten Commandments. And adherence to those commands is critical, but they demand more than just minimum observance. As one walks the path of holiness, they must elevate their concept of what the Torah requires. Thus, the Torah teaches that here that respect for parents ordains not only that they be honored through personal service, but that, it, but that it be done in a respectful manner. Right? Because you think about 
oh, well, uh, read the Ten Commandments. I didn't murder anybody today. Check the box, right? I'm doing good. But it's like not murdering your brother goes far beyond that. I mean, that's a good place to start. But then what did the scripture say today? It says you shall not stand by while your brother's blood is being spilled. Okay, well, taken literally, that's like, don't let somebody else kill your brother. <laughs> but, but then it's also understood by the sages to be like, don't stand by while somebody is gossiping about or tearing down the character of your neighbor. Right? So it's taking it to a whole new level because it's character assassination when someone is tearing apart someone and ridiculing them and gossiping or slandering them. So these are all elevations of it. And so you may need to start, right, at like, okay, I'm not going to murder anybody today. Okay? Some people have to start there. Okay? <laughs> no one here, praise God. <laughs> yeah, Diego's, look, Diego's looking at Bridget. Okay. <laughs> but, um, but yeah, the, but then it's like, okay, well, as we walk in holiness, we're always being called up higher to greater understanding of what does the character of God look like in my life? And how do I best emulate Him? So we're exhorted to live according to that, according to the covenant. I was thinking about on the way here, and like Yeshua, when He was talking to his disciples, he said, who do you say that I am? He was talking to Peter. He said, who do you say that I am? And Peter says, well, you're the Messiah, the Son of the living God. You know? I just I wonder if the question were asked differently. You know? Well, who do you say that you are? Like if Yeshua had said that to Peter, who do you say that you are? Or then even to flip it around, Peter, who do I say that you are? That you're a rock, right? But I was just thinking about that. Who does God say that you are? And who do you say that you are? And do the two line up? And if we don't see ourselves rightly as God sees us, it's going to hinder our ability to become like Him, to walk in His ways and say, no, these things of the world, these temptations, these lures, they're too small a thing. They're too small for the glory that God has placed within me and within you. And that's our perspective. It's too small a thing because the thing that God has given us is so great. Amen. Does anybody have anything that you want to share? So you're reaching the uh peace offering in the middle of Leviticus 19, and I've always seen the peace offering as a communion. Not in the sense that it's commonly referred to, but communicating union, right? It's it's relationship, mm -hmm. um, which how it's currently used today, people would see it as that, but um, I, I think, you know, because you, you said covenant, right? That's what covenant is. It is relationship. That's what, you know, the people who use the word communion today, they think relationship. Yeah. When, when you're doing a peace offering, that is what you're doing. You're, you're building a relationship. Yeah. And so all, so that's really good. And salvation is relationship out of death, right? Yeah. So that, that's the point of salvation. And so all of this is just really relationship with God. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and, and it, it, it is. It's, 
relationship with God, and it all goes back, you know, if we were going back to our storyline, it starts with the death of the righteous, who brings atonement, and then the high priest intercedes on our behalf, and then who says, okay, you're, you know, here's how you make a sanctuary dwelling place for me, and now, as one who's part of the covenant and a special people, here's how you will become like me. All within the context of the covenant, all within the context of what is the revealed nature of God that is to be expressed in us, that we should be holy as he is holy. And it's all built there within that desire for God to restore and to create relationship. Because his desire is for all of man to come within that covenant. He's not okay with them just staying in the Noah cave. He wants that relationship, that communion that you were talking about. Yeah, and so then as we're doing that, as we're pursuing this holiness, we're doing it in a relational aspect, as opposed to a disjointed on my own, just trying to do my thing. Right? It's like, no, we're doing it from the place of being a child, from the place of acceptance, from the place of renewal, from the place of life, bringing forth even more life. Yeah, awesome. Awesome. Okay, let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your love. Thank you for your goodness. Thank you for your great desire to make yourself known and to have a people for your own possession. That we can walk with you, know you, and to have our minds transformed by the renewing of your spirit. Lord, I pray that you would move within us, guide us, teach us, draw us close. In the name of Yeshua, amen. Thank you for joining us. If you enjoyed this message, please consider sharing it with a friend or family member and help us out by giving a review on iTunes or other podcast platform. Check out our website at walkingemmausroad.org for additional teachings and information about visiting Emmaus Road in Kingwood, Texas. Mm-hmm.